I, I tell you, it has been an unusual start, to say the least, right? It's been an unusual season. And to pastor a church for two months already and not gathering is an unusual start. It's, I, don't, I didn't go to school for that. I didn't, I didn't learn anything about how you're supposed to do that. So thank you for your grace. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your, just your understanding as we learn and figure this thing out together. And I just want to let you know, I just believe that God has got great things in store for this church. I believe God's got great things in store for our community. And I just, I, it's, it's just kind of waiting on us if we're willing to do it, if we're willing to embrace it, if we're willing to go after him. I just believe the future is bright. Do you believe that? Come on, let's not believe that the best days are behind us. Like, they're good days, right? Those, those, those days behind us, they're good. They're great. That's, they're what got us here. But let, we, let's, not just let, let's not live in the past. Let's live towards the future of what God wants to do in and through us. There's a whole generation, a whole community of people who need to know Jesus, and we have the answer, and we're going to share Jesus as loudly to anyone who will listen. You with me? Anybody? All right. Well, hey, we're, at, we're in a series called Course Correction. Yesterday's failures don't have to define your tomorrow. And we've been asking this question, do you ever wish you had a do-over? <laughs> Maybe a stupid question, right? Do you ever wish you could have a do-over? Do you ever wish that you could go back and, and correct a past mistake? Maybe that's a painful thought to even think about. Every day we make choices that shape the, right, the direction of our life, the story our life is writing. And sometimes these decisions are, are small and they're insignificant. And other times they are actually large, major life decisions. Uh, sometimes they lead to positive experience and positive memories and, and positive outcomes. And other times they end up hurting people, even the people we love the most. And while the decisions we make yesterday determine the story we tell today, here's the good news is that the decisions we make today determine the stories we tell tomorrow. And this is where the hope is found. This is where, our, 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 this is where we can hold on to because we can't change the mistakes we made yesterday, right? We, we, can't, we can't go back and fix those. We would love to. We wish we could. But we do have a choice today to make decisions today that will determine the outcome or the story we tell tomorrow. And I'm so thankful that yesterday's failures and mistakes and shortcomings, they don't have to define tomorrow's story, that I have a chance today to course correct. I have a chance today to readjust and, and realign and correct. And I'm not saying it's always easy. In fact, it's probably not so easy. That's why most people don't do it. You just kind of flow along and get in the flow. But we have this opportunity to readjust, to realign, accord, and live our lives according to God's plan. And how do we do that? Well, the writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Someone say Jesus. Come on, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, not mom and dad, not grandma and grandpa, not the pastor. Thank you, Jesus. You know, let's fix our eyes on, on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's how we course correct. That's how we readjust. We don't fix our eyes on politicians and political leaders. We don't fix our eyes on the, the large voice in the room or the big personality in the room. We fix our eyes on Jesus. His sacrifice, we talked about this already, his sacrifice, his death, and more so his resurrection, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, it all gives us this opportunity to write a better story tomorrow. A story that if we were to be honest, we probably don't deserve. But because of his grace and because of his mercy, we're invited into a better story tomorrow. Yesterday's, we don't have to be defeated by yesterday's mistakes, but we can find hope in the grace and the promise 
of tomorrow. And I don't know about you, but that encourages me today. That encourages me today that I can readjust and find a better story. And there's this question I've been asking myself is this, is what story do you want your life to tell when it's only a story someone tells? What story do you want your life to tell when it's only a story someone tells? And if we're be honest, this is a pretty sobering question. It's a pretty honest question because it forces us to evaluate where, where we are, you know, where we are in our journey, the, the things that are around us, the, the, maybe the, the chaos or the gardens of life that are around us, and then forces us to ask also how, how we got here, what, what decisions we made along the way led us to this place. And, and like so many of you, I, I found myself reaping what I sow, dealing with the consequences of yet another bad decision. You ever, you ever say this to yourself, I wish I could go back and do it over, I wish... I never had done that. I, I wish, what was I thinking? What, what was I thinking? Why would I do that? And then we're forced, once we come to this level of awareness, we're forced to do something about it, right? We're, we're forced to respond in some way. We can, we can change, we can course correct, or we can claim ignorance and just kind of drift along and just be like, well, it is what it is. And I believe that God's grace affords us the opportunity to change, to receive his grace. We don't just have to accept kind of the path that we've lived on, but we can change because of the grace of God. And we can learn, as we talked last week, to start new disciplines that will change the story right tomorrow. We talked last week, right, that the delight in discipline will take you where desire can't. That when you have a dream for your future, when you have a dream for your life, when you have a dream for your family, when you have a dream for your faith, when you have a dream for your friends, then it's not just about a desire, it's not just about the dream, but you have to put disciplines in place in order to achieve that dream. We see that in our health, we see that in our family, we see that in our, in our work. We can't just wish for it, we have to work for it, right? There's an element of personal discipline where we have to embrace that discipline. And today we're going to understand too that direction, not intention, determines destination. The direction of our life, not just the intentions of our life, but the directions, the decisions we make, the, the steps we take, the things we do, the things we don't do, determines our destination. Life is a series of small and large decisions. And there's a goal. if there's a goal you want to achieve, then you have to make a decision to move that moves you in that direction. And here's what I'm learning. One of the best decisions you can make when we're feeling stuck, when the stakes are high, when we're in an all impulse or dilemma, when we're overwhelmed or off course, is to stop. If you're feeling like you're going, this, we're, this road that I'm going on is taking me down the, I don't want to go down this road. This is taking me on a journey that I'm, I just don't feel comfortable on. I, I see where the end of this story is riding and I don't like it. And so sometimes along the way, you just need to make a decision to stop, to push pause, to reevaluate, to readjust, to course correct, to get some godly wisdom. Anyone else been in that situation? I, I recognize the, the decisions I'm making today are leading to a story that I do not want to tell. A story that I would not be proud of. A story that I'm, I'm almost ashamed of. And so I need today to make a decision. And before I make any decision to start something, I need to stop some things in my life that are leading me in that path. Sometimes in order to go where you need to go, in order to tell a story you want to tell, you need to stop what you're doing. Sometimes that's the food you eat. Sometimes that's the website you visit at night. Sometimes that's the friends you associate with. Sometimes that's the shady way you handle business deals. Sometimes that's being consumed 
by envy and jealousy as you scroll through your social media. Sometimes that is a critical heart or, or an attitude towards others. You need to stop that. Sometimes it's your unwillingness to let go and forgive. You need to adjust that and you need to stop because I recognize this is taking me down a road and creating a story in me that I don't want to tell, that I'd be ashamed of if somebody found out. So the question I'm asking you today is, is what stories or what areas of you in your life do you, if you don't stop, will produce in you an outcome that you don't want to share? What do you need to stop? Several years ago, I was uh, coming home. We had a worship night practice at the, one of the churches I was a part of, and it was late. I think it was like 10 o'clock by the time I was getting home, and my, my boys were young, so I knew they were in bed. My wife was probably in bed because she's an early night person. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go home. I was kind of wired. I'm going to go home and watch a movie. But you know, you can't watch a movie without snacks, right? can't do that. And uh, I was a pretty good snacker. Still like my snacks, but I'm getting better at it. And I remember going home, and I was like, well, I need some snacks, and I know we don't have any snacks at home, so I'm going to stop, and I'm going to get myself a bag of chips. But you don't get just a little bag of chips, right? You get the big bag of chips. And you think to yourself, I'm going to get the big bag of chips because a little bag of chips is really little. I won't eat the whole thing, but at least I have options. And then I was like, well, now I need something to slow this thing down. I need to swallow it down. So I got myself a Coke. Now, I didn't get just a little can of Coke. Now, I didn't get the two liter either, but I got the one liter, you know, the next level in, right? It's a commitment. And I'm thinking, it's okay, I'll just have a little bit, I'll go home, watch my movie, everything's good. And I had made some decisions, like I wasn't a healthy eater, obviously. It was and I know the bag of Doritos, it was Cool Ranch Doritos. Anyone else love Cool Ranch Doritos? Everyone, you love them, but everyone else hates them because your breast smells like rotten feet, right? Anyway, so I'm going home, I sit in my chair, everyone's sleeping upstairs, I'm eating, I'm watching my movie, I'm eating my my chips, and then I reach in my one final time, and I'm like, I ate the whole bag. And listen, okay, now there's nothing wrong with eating a whole bag of chips, let's be honest, they're not very big. But here's where the problem came in. I had been struggling with overeating and eating too much, and I had, I had this thing where I had to hide the bag of chips from my wife. I felt so guilty that I ate the whole bag of chips that I hid the garbage in the garage garbage. I didn't put it in the kitchen where we normally put our stuff. I was so ashamed that I hid my evidence of me eating a full bag of chips because I knew I had to account for that the next day, and I wasn't willing to do that. And at a moment in my life, I realized in that moment, as I'm a grown man hiding the food that I ate because I knew that I overate, I knew that I shouldn't have done that, and I made a decision myself, i got to stop eating like a 12-year-old. i gotta, I got I to gotta make better life decisions because I was getting overweight, I was getting out of shape, and I recognized in that moment, it was a profound moment that changed the way I looked at food, and I worked out. And all of a sudden, the next day, I woke up, and I said, I'm going to change it. And I started getting up early and working out and working out, and I lost a little bit of weight. Now, that's, that was, you know, that was a while ago, and I'm at church since then, and I've eaten more bag of chips. So it's not the end of the story, but it was this moment where I realized I had to stop, and I had to readjust, or otherwise I was going to start being Somebody, an unhealthy person, I had, tw I had twin boys that were five or six years old at the time, and I wanted to be a person that they could model their life after. And hiding the evidence of my overeating food wasn't a good example. And then I got to the point where I'm getting up and I'm faithfully working out, and I'm getting up early and I'm making decisions that are working out, and then I had this dawn on me that I have to, <laughs> I got to stop making excuses about my spiritual life. I had this, this moment where I was like, I am being faithful with working out in the morning. I'm getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm working out before I go to work. Everything was great. 
But I always made an excuse that I could never get up in the morning and do devotions. I could never get up. I always had all of these excuses why I could never, you know, be disciplined in doing devotions with God. And I started thinking to myself, listen, i got to stop making excuses. If I can do this for my physical body, then why shouldn't I do this for my spiritual body also? And I started making decisions. I had to stop making excuses. And I don't know about you. I don't know if I'm the only one. But do you ever make excuses? Do you ever, do you ever give yourself reasons why you got to keep on doing what you're doing, even though you know it's not so good, but you just give yourself a bunch of excuses of why it's good to keep going, right? So what do you need to stop today in order to tell a better story tomorrow? And here's what I believe. I believe that the Holy Spirit is real. I believe that he is personal. I believe that he knows you really well. And I believe as we work through our conversation together, he is going to just pinpoint things in your own heart that are very real to you, that are very personal to you. And, and you're maybe even feeling them right now. Hey, there are some things in my life that if I, if I want to tell a better story tomorrow, I need to stop doing these things. I need to readjust. I need to reevaluate. There's a great story in the, in the book of Exodus with Moses who knew he had something had to change, but he was if he didn't change, then everything would be falling apart. And here's a little backstory. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Exodus 18. We're going to read in that. But the backstory here is that Israelites had now fled Egypt. They are away from Egypt. They're on the, on the positive side of the Red Sea. And they, they're now figuring out what it needs to be to be a nation. They're trying to figure life out. And you can imagine, these Israelites, they grew up pretty much slaves. They just kind of followed the rules of, the, of, the, of Pharaoh and his leaders. They didn't really, they weren't their own really nation. And so Moses is now here trying to help establish them as a nation, help establish them as to resolve conflicts and what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, how to actually live in community. And so Moses acted as a, a sort of a, a judge uh, to hear people's disputes and to kind of help resolve people's problems. The problem is the nation was pretty large at this point. Now there's some argument whether it was 30,000 or 2 million, but either way, it was a lot of people. There was a lot of disputes, and you know what it's like. You, you have a family of five, and you realize there are a lot of disputes, right? Can you imagine thousands, millions of people, the disputes that he would have to be negotiating every day? And the Bible says he woke up from sunrise to sunset. It was like every day he's solving problems. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like the worst job ever, right? The worst job ever. And so Jethro, his father-in-law, comes up to him, and we, we kind of pick it up in in chapter 18, verse 17, he says, Moses' father-in-law replied to him, what you are doing is not good. I just love the directness of it. What you're doing is not good. You and these people will come, uh, who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. He says, listen to me now, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. And here's the question. Can you relate? Do you, you ever feel like, hey, there's these things that I need to stop doing, but if I stop doing, I'm afraid that I, I, don't, I, I want to stop, but I feel like I can't stop because everything will fall apart. It just seems impossible. And what keeps us in this situation, what keeps us going on this course, is whether it's a bad habit, a mindset, an addiction, an attitude, a thought process, that's something that is hijacking our story. We feel that it all relies on us. If I, if I don't stop doing this, I, I need to stop, but I can't stop. I just feel like I'm pulled into this all the time, and I recognize that it's not healthy, but I also don't know how to stop. And so Jethro tells Moses, he tells him a few things, and he says, listen, here's, here's, here's what I need you to do. Here's some advice I want you to take. And he gives him this advice of breaking, selecting God-fearing men who are in the thousands and the, five, the hundreds and the fifties and the tens who can handle tough cases and, let, and then let Moses handle the rest. And so he's giving him a plan to succeed, a planning that says, listen, it doesn't all have to depend 
on you. This is not a healthy road you are on. And then he says to him, if you follow this advice and, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures. All of these people will come home, will be able to go home in peace. And Moses listened to his father-in-law and followed the advice and his suggestions. And so as we listen to this story, there's just a couple things I want to draw out to you today in relation to this idea that we have to decide to stop, that there are things in our life that if we don't put an end to them, they will determine a story that we don't want to tell. And the first thing you recognize in this story is that Moses had someone he could trust. That we need to find someone we can trust. I just love the directness of Jethro. He says to Moses, what you're doing is not good. Do you ever people in your life who can speak to you that directly? People in your life who can look to you and say, listen, what you're doing, that's not good. You need to change that right now. I had this person in my life who loved me so much for me to hate him. Come on. He loved me enough for me to hate him. He saw me in, high, in college, and he saw the life that I was on. He saw the path that I was on, and he saw my potential, but he saw my problems. And he was honest with me. He pulled me into his office and said, Adam, I love you enough for you to hate me right now. That's, he literally said that to me. It's the first time I've ever heard anyone say that. I love you enough for you to hate me. What you are doing is not good. If you don't stop this, you will not have the story you want to tell. And he loved me. And I'll tell you what, I hated him. Because he took away everything that I valued. My platform, my position, my ability to lead. And he took it all away. He said, we need to figure this thing out. But he didn't just let me go. He gave me advice. Like Jethro, he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to work this. We're going to break this thing down. We're going to walk through this together. We all need someone in our life who loves us enough for us to hate them for a moment. Now, I don't hate him anymore. I grew to love him. And in fact, he is in, in so many ways an incredible instrumental into my life and ministry because if he had not recognized those things in my life, he had not loved me enough in that moment for me to hate him while I was still in formation, then who knows what trajectory my life would have been on. We need someone who's going to love us enough to speak the truth to us, someone who's able to speak directly to us when we're getting off course. It's very much like a role of a parent, isn't it? We speak to our children. We love our children with all of our heart. And we recognize when they're going off track. We recognize when they're surrounding themselves with maybe people that aren't going to be the positive influences or getting into habits that aren't going to develop in them the right character or they're seeing words that are pulling them in a different direction. And as a parent, we love our kids enough to speak to them. And we know, if you've got a parent of teenagers, you know <laughs> that when you speak to them, they may hate you for a bit. And you'll feel that and you'll, and you'll be crushed, right, because it'll crush your heart. But you know you need to love them to speak truth, to say what you are doing is not good. And so here's my question to you. Do you have someone that you can trust? Do you have someone in your life, do you have someone in your corner who knows you enough, yet loves you enough to speak to those areas in your life that says what you're doing is not good? Now, we don't need 100 people like that. That'd be overwhelming. But you need a few. You need one. Someone who loves you who you are, but loves you too much to leave you the way you are, who says to you and says what you are doing is not good. The second thing we learn is that we don't dismiss the voice of God. And I love how Jethro says this. He says, and may God be with you. And if God commands you to do so, listen, don't just take my advice, Jethro's saying. Don't just listen to what I'm saying. But if God is speaking to you, allow God to lead you. Here's one thing I've learned is that any godly advice should align with God's advice, right? If someone comes to you and says, here's what I believe God is saying to me, you need to align that with God's word, you need to know the voice of God. You need to align it with God's heart. Jethro was saying, don't just take my word for it, but if God is also revealing us to your heart, if God is also prompting you, 
And here's what I've learned with this kind of advice is that nine times out of ten, usually you're rustling through this thing inside. You know what you need to stop. You know what you're doing is not good. And when someone comes to you and says, hey, what you're doing is not good, you may hate them because they exposed it, but you're not surprised by it. Right? You know. When I was in college and that, that teacher came to me and exposed to me, it wasn't like, oh, my, what are you talking about? I had no idea. I knew. I was just trying to cover it up. I was trying to keep it hidden. I was trying to see if I could fix it all on my own. But I realized in that moment, it wasn't just what the teacher said. I knew that God was using that teacher to speak to me and to say, what you are doing is not good. You need to readjust and realign. And this circles back to this idea of knowing the voice of God. How do we know what God's advice is if we don't know God? And this is where I keep driving it as a church. Church, we, we just can't rely on what I say the voice of God sounds like. We need, you need to know what the voice of God's like, the word of God says. So when someone comes to you, myself included, and gives you some godly advice, you can take that and heed that and line that up to the word of God to know, is this line up with the word of God? And that's what Jethro did to Moses. Here, here's my advice. But if God is also encouraging you to act and to do it, and then Moses, then it says that Moses obeyed without delay, that Moses listened and he followed his advice, that he heard the advice and he heeded the advice to stop without excuses. He didn't kind of make it, well, it's got to depend on me. I was the one who was chosen. I was the one who God spoke to in the form of a burning bush. I was the one who had a staff that turned to a snake. I was the one who did this. I'm the chosen. No, no, no. You need to allow other people to lead. You need to stop making excuses because you can't do this on your own. It is too big for you. In fact, you're actually hurting everybody around you. And he says to him, like, the change order in this course correction is not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of others around you. As we correct our life, as we course correct our hearts, as we stop doing the things in our life that are leading to a story that we don't want to tell, we are actually creating a better future for those who are following us. The model that we are making and leaving for our kids. Remember, we don't model who, what we say, we model who we are, right? It's not just what we say we are, it's who we are. Our kids don't just listen to the words we speak, they, they watch us how we interact. They, they watch us how we respond. And we are at our best when we can help other achieve, we can help others achieve their best when we are ourselves at our best. When we are walking out the journey together. We produce who we are, not who we want to be. So what bad habits and hurts and hurt habits and hang-ups are you modeling for your kids? This is an honest question. How are the decisions you are making today not only affecting you, but those around you? What are you modeling as normative or acceptable when in your own heart you realize something has got to shift, something has got to change, something has got to stop in order to tell a story that is worth telling? And so Moses heeded Jethro's advice, and they, con- and they continued to move together. And so here's just some three practical questions I want to ask you in this journey together. Is, and it kind of aligns with the three questions we asked last week. What does God want you to want? What does God want you to want? When you think about the story you want to tell, when you think about the future you want to have, when you think about the dreams that God has put in your heart, what do you want? What, what story do you want to tell? A dream or a desire, a vision that God has given you is along the road. Nicky Gumbel talks about this. He says, a vision is a holy discontentment, right? A, a, deep satisf- a deep dissatisfaction 
with what is combined with, combined with a clear grasp of what could be. It's a picture, a mental sight of the future hopes and dreams. So the question you have to ask yourself is what vision has God given you that you want your life to tell? What vision has God put in your life? And some of us, we don't necessarily think about that. We just kind of, we just say, I'm just going to live my life. I, I have a vision to get up today, to eat my food, to love my family, to go to work and come home. That's my vision for my life. And I, and I want to tell you, you're selling yourself short. That's, that's not a God-sized vision. That's not a vision. That's not worth the sacrifice, you know, that Jesus died on the cross to just have this mundane existence. He wants to give you a story worth telling, something you're excited to share that involves impacting and reaching other people. What story do you want your life to tell? Vision without action is merely a dream, and action without vision is a nightmare, but vision combined with action can change the world. It can change your world. It can change your children's world and your children's future. It can change the course of our direction, the course of our church, and the course of our community. What vision has God given you for your life? What story do you want to tell when your life is only a story someone tells? And then what actions do you need to take place in order to see in that direction? What decisions do you need to make today? to determine the story to tell tomorrow. We talked about last week what decisions we need to start, but today, what decisions do we need to make to stop? What do we need to stop? And so in order to see that vision, in order to see that direction, God is asking us now the second question, what do you need to stop? What I've learned along the way is in order to stop doing something, you need to start, so you have to put something in its place. You have to put, you can't just say, I want to stop doing this, and then that's it. You need to backfill it with something positive. Right? You need to backfill it with something of hope. You need to backfill that with something bigger than what you're taking away. So if I don't want to eat, in order to say, so there's this phrase to say, you need to say no to the things we love in order to say yes to the things we love even more. I'm saying no to the things I love, a bag of Doritos late on a Thursday night. Say yes to the things I love even more, a healthy living, a healthy body, not waking up in the middle of the night with heartburn and acid indigestion. Anybody else with me on that? You know? So we say no to the bag of chips to live a healthy life. You say no to the gossip chain in order to have a trustworthy friendship. I value a trustworthy friendship more than the gossip chain, right? I, I, I say no to the secret late night website visits. Then yes to the intimate relationship I want with my spouse. I, I say no to the shady quick fix business deal to say yes to being a person of integrity who, who, could, sleep at, who could sleep at night. I say no to the addictions that control my story to say yes to the freedom that I found in Christ. In order to say no to something, you need to backfill it with a story you'd rather tell, and you need to let that be the driving story of your life. You need to be the, that, the driving motivation of your story. So what does God want you to stop? What's the vision for your life? What does God want you to want? What does God want you to stop? And the last thing here is who does God want you to tell? Who does God want you to tell? Because we all need someone, right? We all need someone in our corner who's going to champion us and walk with us and encourage us and keep us accountable and love us enough for us to hate them or not like them for a moment because they speak the truth in our life. And the first one we all need to tell is God, right? We need to have this honest relationship with God. The Bible calls this word repentance where we say, God, I have made a mistake. I am making decisions that I, that I don't want to make. And repentance literally means to change course, to, to stop walking in one direction and return to God's path for our life and allow his grace for our tomorrow, a blank page, gives us a blank page. Life is about a constant, this, this constant realignment, choosing daily the journey towards 
Jesus. And the first one we need to tell is God. God, this is who I want to be. And this is the decisions I've been making. And I recognize I need to stop. I recognize I need to course correct. I recognize this is not leading to the story I want to tell. This is not leading to the story you want me to tell for my life. And I'm going to repent. And I come to you. And the second thing is you need to tell a friend. You need to find someone who loves you enough, who can stand with you with love, who knows you enough to keep you accountable to that journey, to keep you accountable to that journey because this is why we need one another. We can't do this on our own because left to our own devices, we all default back to self, right? Left to our own devices, we all default back to what's comfortable for me. And what's comfortable for me is always, usually just what's about me and what's for me. But to live a life worth telling and a story worth telling, we need to live for others. And this is the value of living in community. We all need somebody. We all need somebody. So what does God want you to want? What is God asking you to stop? And who is God asking you to tell? As the band comes back, Hebrews 12, 12, uh, 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life and faith, let us strip off, another translation says, throw off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set out for us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion and the initi- who initiates and perfects our faith. And I love the visual imagery of this. I love the visual imagery of this, of, of stripping off, of throwing off everything that slows us down. And this is, this is a liken to this idea of a Grecian mar- mar- uh, uh, marathon runner who, who throws off his outer garment, who, who even throws off the undergarments and runs so he will not trip and fall. He's just releasing everything that could trip him up, everything that could hinder him, anything that can slow him down, anything that would stop him from running the race. And it's a full sign of commitment and full devotion, not caring what other people think, but completely selling out for the ultimate prize. It's this idea of letting anything go, stripping off anything that can hold us back, anything that can trip us up. And if we're honest with our lives, there are things in our life that are tripping us up if we don't deal with them. There are areas in our life, habits and hang-ups and hurts, that if we don't deal with it, if we don't stop, if we don't let go, will trip us up in our journey to Christ, and we will never be able to fully tell the story that God is wanting us to share. Because we've allowed these things to trip us up and to hinder us and to slow us down. And so the author says, so let us fix our eyes on Jesus. As followers of Jesus, he is our ultimate prize. He is the one we run towards. He is the one we embrace. A life that clearly reflects his and tells a story that he wants us to tell. What story do you want your life to tell? when it's only a story that someone tells. Last week we talked about what do you need to decide to start? And today, what do you need to decide to stop? I believe Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And he's reminding us, he's pointing his finger on those one thing we need to readjust and realign. Can we just stand together as we worship? I don't know about you, but it's easy to take this kind of a message and to think, well, man, I, yeah, like, look at all the things I need to stop. I got a whole list of things I need to stop. And we know that. We're all, we're on this journey together. But here's the thing. As soon as, you, as soon as you dismiss those things as just acceptable, 
that's when you're broken, right? That's when you miss the moment. And I just believe God wants us to keep us pliable. He wants to keep us moldable. He wants to keep our hearts soft to the things of him so that we can continue to grow in him and be molded by him every day. It's a journey every day. And we're going to do this together as we follow after him. And so as we sing this song in closing, can I just ask you to open your heart to God and say, God, I want to build my life on you. I want to build my life on your firm foundation. And if there's anything in me that does not align with the story you want me to tell, a story that you died on the cross for me to tell, a story that you predestined, that you created long before I was even born, a story that you thought for and dreamed for me to tell. God, if there's anything in my life that is hindering me or slowing me down from telling that story, reveal it to me today, God. Speak to my heart and give me the courage to change, the courage to stop, the courage to make it right. Because we need you today. And so, God, we just open up our hearts to you as worship, in worship. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Encourage us. We need you today, Jesus. We recognize we cannot do this on our own. We recognize our need for you. In your precious name.